Good morning again, Christian friends. My name is Jim. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I look forward to doing that afterwards. I know many of you in the room uh, from my time when I served at uh, Trinity Kimberly Way as the music director. I now serve at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. I'm the director of musical arts and professor of worship there, and it's really an honor to be with y'all this morning. We've been on a journey together over the last couple of weeks a reconciler's journey where we've been learning and practicing and remembering what it is to be reconciled with one another. I've been on that journey with you, even in St. Louis. Uh, I've been able to listen to the messages over the last couple of weeks through the website podcast. If you don't know about that resource, it's actually really wonderful. I was able to listen to the messages, and uh, even if you miss a week, if it's too cold, by the way, thanks, Chicago, for welcoming me back from St. Louis with, like, the coldest weekend. Yeah, great. Uh, But uh, uh, if you have to miss a week, uh, you can check out the website podcast and hear the message from the last weekend. Or if you want to revisit a message through the week, you can log on and hear uh, the message again. And that's a wonderful way to stay in tune with God's Word through your week. So like you in this series, I've been filled with reminders of God's work in my life and God's will for my life. This reconciler's journey is far-reaching. It reaches into our families. It reaches into our cities and our communities, our workplaces. And as we commemorate uh, Dr. Martin Luther King this weekend and celebrate his legacy and his work as it continues in our nation and throughout the world, we're reminded that this reconciler's journey is a journey of all humanity together. The Holy Spirit has called us to be on that journey, and again, it's my honor to be with each of you today. Now, we uh, heard just a few minutes ago uh, Candace read these words from Matthew, and she had such a lovely way of reading them, very, very nice and gentle, but those are some pretty striking words of Jesus. Did you follow what Jesus was saying there? Let me read a little bit of it again to you. Uh, he starts out by saying, uh, you've heard it said of old, you shall not murder, And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So you've heard it said of old. Where does that come from? Ten Commandments, right? You've heard it said of old, you shall not murder. Ten Commandments, fifth commandment, right? But look at what Jesus is doing here. You've heard it said of old, do not murder. And he who murders is liable to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says to his brother, you fool, will be liable to the fires of hell. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that you have something against your brother, leave your gift and go and be reconciled first to your brother or sister. And then come back and offer your gift. Now, this is not an encouragement to any of you to leave church early, all right? Stay for a little bit. Let's talk about forgiveness, and then maybe you might want to leave. But what is Jesus getting at here? Why the sharp words? Jesus is teaching us very clearly that anger and unforgiveness can really mess up our life. Anger and unforgiveness are like a prison, a prison that holds us captive 
with very little hope for escape. Just take a second to think about that. Think about the anger and unforgiveness that we see at work in our nation every day. Think about the anger and unforgiveness that we experience in our cities, in our communities. Think about the anger and forgiveness that just, just this last week you experienced maybe at work or at school or in sports or even in politics. Think about the anger and unforgiveness that we experience even in our families, even with our closest relationships. There have been times in my life where anger and unforgiveness and a lack of reconciliation have broken my heart and really messed me up. And I'll bet the same is true for you as well. It certainly was true for uh, Jacob and Esau. That's the story we've been telling over the last few weeks on this reconciler's journey. There are these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and they were at odds with each other even from the womb. From the time they were conceived as twins, they're fighting with each other. And then you have two parents, Isaac and Rebekah, who are playing favorites. And as Pastor Tony reminded us last week, every person in this story messed up. Every person in this story needed to repent. Jacob needed to repent for uh, uh, deceiving his or, or scheming against his brother Esau and deceiving his father Isaac. Esau needed to repent for being an irresponsible firstborn and not taking that role seriously. Rebekah needed to repent for conniving with Jacob against Esau and against Isaac. And Isaac needed to repent for being an aloof and irresponsible father. Man, it sounds kind of like a soap opera. All of these you know, people working against each other, right? But they don't repent. And Jacob ends up getting the birthright and the blessing. And Esau commits himself to killing Jacob. He says, the days for my, my mourning for my father are approaching. My father's going to die soon. And when he dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And so as we heard read, um, Rebekah tells Jacob to go to her uncle, to Laban. You see, all of the relationships in this story are broken. And it makes a compelling story to read, right? We've had fun talking about it here. But in the end, it's actually heartbreaking. All of the dysfunction, all of the hatred, all of the scorn that rips this family apart. So instead of repenting and reconciling with one another, they're divided further. And Jacob goes to his uncle Laban, and it ends up that he gets immersed in a whole new cycle of deceit and of lies and of unfulfilled promises. I encourage you this week to read that story yourself. Genesis 26 all the way to chapter 31. Read it this week. See how dysfunction tears this family apart. The problems multiply for Jacob in a way 
that you see he had run away from his past mistakes. He thought he could do that. He thought he could leave his past mistakes behind. Rebecca encouraged him to do that. And instead, he ran full speed into a whole new set of problems. Jesus' words in Matthew are so true. We see in this story how cold, angry, unrepentant hearts can perpetuate the brokenness and hatred in this world. Bridges end up being burned. Families are torn apart. I know I've experienced it. Jacob and Esau experienced it. And I bet you are too. So how? How do we break this cycle of hatred? How do we break the cycle of brokenness? How do we break the cycle of anger in our world? Last week, Pastor Tony discussed repentance as one step on this reconciler's journey. Today, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness. All right, forgiveness is not just a word that we know in our heads. It's not just a concept, right? Forgiveness is a practice. It's a behavior. It's something that we experience. Dr. King knew this. Dr. King was a civil rights leader, but he was also a pastor. And his whole platform for advocacy and for civil rights was informed by his knowledge of Jesus and of God's will for reconciliation in the world. So Dr. King, this is one thing he said about forgiveness. He said, we must develop the power and the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. See, what Dr. King is saying here is that the only way to have truly reconciled relationships, the only way to see what is broken restored to wholeness, the only way to see hatred replaced by love is through forgiveness. So as we consider forgiveness here this morning, I want you to think, where do you fit in in the Jacob and Esau story? Where do you find your place in that story? Or maybe think about it this way. When we think about forgiveness, there's different aspects to forgiveness, right? There's the giving of forgiveness, and then there's the asking for forgiveness, and the receiving of forgiveness. Where do you struggle with forgiveness? Do you struggle with giving forgiveness? Do you struggle with asking for forgiveness or receiving forgiveness? Well, for some of us, we really struggle with giving forgiveness. Just like Jesus warns in that Matthew passage, we end up consumed by anger. That anger festers and it burns within us. It makes us sick. I don't know about you, but I know that there have been times in my life where I've been so angry, so hurt, so broken that I've been consumed by anger. And it literally makes me sick to my stomach. 
absolutely overwhelming. And I don't know about you, but when I'm consumed by anger like that, I start taking out that anger on other people, right? And all of a sudden, I'm not angry at a person, but I become an angry person. The world, the world knows that this is a problem. Check out this quote. Resentment is like drinking a poison and then waiting for the other person to die. That's not in the Bible, right? <laughs> Any idea who said that? Resentment is like drinking a poison and waiting for the other person to die. Carrie Fisher. I collaborated in uh, working on this sermon with Nick Price over at uh, Kimberly Way. He is a huge Star Wars fan. I love Star Wars. So we got this Carrie Fisher quote in there. Resentment is like drinking a poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Anger, that consuming anger, is like a poison that ends up destroying you, that ends up destroying me. Have you ever experienced that? You're so angry with a person, so hurt, so broken, and they, they go on unfazed. It's maddening, right? Then there's this other part to forgiveness. The asking for and receiving forgiveness. For some of us, it can be a real struggle to ask for and to receive forgiveness. Asking for and receiving forgiveness requires vulnerability. And that's really scary. We don't like vulnerability. Vulnerability is countercultural. But asking for and receiving forgiveness requires vulnerability. And that's really, really scary. The worst part for me is not just admitting that I made a mistake, but that there's actually something wrong with me. Think about that for a second. It probably won't take you too long. Think about a mistake that you made in your life that made you come face to face with the fact that you are sinful, that you're broken, that there's something inherently wrong with you. That's a dark place. And the tendency that we have is to not want to go there, not to have that vulnerability. So what we do is we do like what Jacob did, is we run away from the problems and we end up running full speed into a whole new set of problems. Instead of admitting our failures and working for forgiveness and reconciliation, we try to leave those problems behind in denial and we end up spiraling in hopelessness and despair and brokenness. Christian friends, I have good news for you this morning. Forgiveness breaks that cycle. Forgiveness rewrites the narrative of consuming anger. Forgiveness rewrites the narrative of denial and guilt and hopelessness. First, let's consider that anger for a second, that consuming anger. 
For a lot of us, when we're giving forgiveness, we struggle with that because we feel like we're going to let someone off the hook, right? How many of you, when you've had to go through reconciliation or you say, I'm sorry, what does someone say back to you? They'll say, it's okay. That's right, Sherry Myers. That's right. It's okay. Yeah, you've heard this, right? I'm sorry. It's okay. It's, it's okay. It's not okay. It is not okay. Forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook. What forgiveness does is it acknowledges the problem, but it robs it of its poison. I'm going to say that again. Oh, we're going crazy here. Sure, okay. (laughs) But this is serious here. Look, forgiveness, it acknowledges the problem, but it robs it of its poison. It's not letting people off the hook. Just think through that a little bit more for me. Do you ever think about the idea of giving forgiveness as the opportunity to give a gift to someone else, right? Well, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you this gift. You're going to be forgiven. Forgiveness actually is a gift to the person who is doing the forgiving as well. It takes that poison of consuming anger and it dispels it. It's gone. Forgiveness isn't letting someone off the hook. Forgiveness is a gift that quells the anger within us and brings relief through reconciliation. And then there's that vulnerability piece. The asking for and receiving forgiveness. Forgiveness actually gives us the capacity to be that vulnerable, right? Forgiveness actually gives us the ability to be vulnerable, to admit our mistakes. Forgiveness gives us the opportunity to not be defined by our mistakes. Forgiveness renews our confidence even in our vulnerability to know that our mistakes and our failures don't define us. So if in our consuming anger we say to someone, you're forgiven, I'm not letting you off the hook, that hurt, that was wrong, but it doesn't define our relationship. Same thing here. Forgiveness gives us the opportunity to be vulnerable enough to say, I messed up. But it doesn't define who I am. And it doesn't define how I'm going to continue to act and to be in this world. That's the power of forgiveness. The giving and the asking for and the receiving of forgiveness. But there's one more thing we've got to talk about this morning. When it comes to forgiveness, I want you to hear me clearly here. You can't do it. All right? You can't do it. So, Pastor, what's the point here, right? Yes, why'd you preach this whole message on forgiveness if I can't do it? Well, some of you in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you in the room have struggled for a long 
long time with either not being able to give forgiveness in a situation or not being able to ask for or receive forgiveness. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. Forgiveness is not something you can do. It's something that was done to you. Forgiveness is a practice. All right, we as human beings, we learn things by doing, and we learn by having them done to us. You follow that? We don't learn by knowing. We learn by doing and having them done to us. Forgiveness is a practice that was done to you. If you're here today and you are struggling with guilt that is just oppressive and you need to know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I want you to hear it very clearly today. You are forgiven. Jesus has done that for you. That is a promise of God that goes all the way back before Jacob and Esau, all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's a promise that was fulfilled by Jesus Christ, your Savior, in His life, in His death, in His resurrection. It is a promise for you that was given to you when you, Christian friends, came to the waters of holy baptism, where your sin was drowned in that water, where you were washed, and where you were reborn. That forgiveness was done to you and will be done to you again as you come forward this morning to receive the body and blood of your Lord and Savior for your forgiveness, for your life, and for your salvation. You don't have to feel like you need to forgive somebody. The forgiveness that you have received from Jesus Christ inspires your forgiveness. Last week we learned that repentance is a step on the reconciler's journey. This week we're learning that forgiveness, that forgiveness that we have been given, is the foundation on which repentance and reconciliation are even possible. And it's that gift of forgiveness, friends, that sets us free. Is that gift of forgiveness that sets us free from the guilt of all of our sins, it doesn't matter what you have done. You are forgiven. And because it doesn't matter what you have done, because we have that forgiveness as a gift, then the rest of our relationships are not defined by what we have done to one another. They're defined by what God has done in and for and through us by Jesus Christ. This forgiveness is a practice that leads to a practice. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's a practice that leads to a practice. It's a prayer that is an action, and it's an action that transforms the world. That gift of reconciliation transforms our lives. Transforms our lives. That gift of forgiveness transforms our families. It transforms our cities and our communities and our sports and our politics and our schools and our work. And as Dr. King knew, it transforms all humanity 
can transform the face of a nation and of the whole world. Dr. King knew about forgiveness and reconciliation because he had experienced it. He's a disciple of Jesus. He experienced the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ and he put it into practice. That's what we're called to do, friends. That's what forgiveness is all about. We're going to take a few minutes now to pray. And we're going to pray silently this morning. And I want to give you the opportunity to pray through a few different things. First of all, again, if you are one of those that needs to know and experience that forgiveness, I pray that the Holy Spirit works through you right now to assure you of God's grace, His unconditional love for you, and the forgiveness and life that Jesus Christ has won for you, has done for you. And if you're in the room here right now, and you know of a relationship where you are being called to forgive, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would be inspired not to forgive out of your own capacity, but in and through what Jesus Christ has done for you. To see that relationship, to see that person with whom you're angry, to see that person that destroyed your life, to see them in a whole new way, to see them with love and compassion, and to see them as one who is forgiven. Let's take some time in silent prayer.